what a day to praise the Lord uh, Sunday and uh, just remind us uh, church that we celebrate Easter every every week don't we every day is a day to celebrate Easter and life the resurrection of the dead uh, and the hope we have in Jesus Christ so we come together this morning in the book of Hebrews if you want to find your place there Hebrews chapter number four. Do um, do be much in prayer for uh, Mary and I will be traveling uh, next weekend, so uh, we would. Your prayers will be gone for a couple days. Pastor Ed will be preaching next week on um, eternal perspective, I think is what he was uh, leaning on, uh, which timely uh, topic for us, isn't it? Always a good reminder, so pray for him as he makes preparation, us as we travel. And next uh, Sunday night's communion, uh, just to remind you of that. And uh, uh, Joe Frick will be sharing that evening, the Word of God with us that evening. So a lot to look forward to. Um, Coming up, many things to be in prayer about. Continue to remember Melissa and the family, of course. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 4. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13 for us this morning. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart, intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, speaking of God, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you this morning reminded of the joy we have, even as we anticipate um, the great high priest section next in Hebrews, uh, that we have that high priest whoever lives to make intercession for us. And Lord, we just pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts and just work in our lives. And thank you for speaking. And thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning we look at these two passages together as a church. And I, I just want to say on the on the outset of that, as we consider uh, the word of God, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. Everything I say following, I, I hope, kind of brings that out or relates to that. But let me first start with something I ran across in my study. I actually ran across the, uh, the account twice, and I felt like, why not let it live on a little more as I tell you about this gentleman's conversion. Spurgeon gives the, uh, gives the encounter in one of his sermons of a gentleman who was part of a notorious club called Hellfire. It was a very um, wicked, vile, ungodly association in England and in, the, in those days during the time of Whitfield and, and Spurgeon, all sorts of drinking and, and immorality uh, went on. One particular habit these men had was to, um, to mock, mimic or mock uh, the evangelist of the day, and, and which, of course, in Whitfield's day was him. Out of this group, one 
person was particularly gifted in mimicking the, the mannerisms and, and the speech and everything else of, of people. So he decided he would go study his subject before they would have a, a little sport with Whitfield. One night he goes out to hear Whitfield preach, and so he's studying him and, and gaining all this stuff. The next day as the, uh, the Hellfire Club meet, he stands up and begins to, to open up his Bible and, and begins to just really kind of put on the, the show of what Whitfield was like. Some said Whitfield was cross-eyed, so he would cross his eyes and, and he would begin preaching in the same tone and mannerisms and all this stuff just like Whitfield. Remarkably, he was so well at it in the middle of his exhortation that he converted himself. <clears throat> he came to a sudden pause, sat down brokenhearted and confessed the power of the gospel. The text that he had opened to, Spurgeon tells us, is uh, to mock Whitfield that night was, uh, as he opened his Bible, his eyes fell on the text, uh, repent, or except ye repent, ye will likewise perish. Remarkable, huh? Spurgeon rightly notes about uh, Mr. Thorpe, who later became a, uh, a, a gospel minister, uh, a force for the kingdom of God in Bristol, England, speaks of him, says, was... He was carried by the force of truth beyond his own intention, like one who would sport in a river and is swept away by its current. Uh, now, people make changes in life, and people put on, uh, you know, turn over new leaves. They change stuff that they don't like about themselves. And, and admittedly, we have to admit there are good books and, and things that help us along in this life, but nothing Nothing compares to the book that you hold in your hand this morning. The power of God unto salvation. We see that remarkably in Mr. Thorpe's transformation. Verses 12 and 13 list for us several attributes or word pictures about the word of God. What it is like. What it, what it does. Something true about God's word. And, and like other places we've looked at before in church here in uh, Timothy. Paul's letter to Timothy. We see it's... It's um, inerrancy and all the other things. Here the writer wants us to, to come to understand what does it mean that God speaks, God's word. And we see that over and over the theme of his mind having, having taken us through chapter 3 and chapter 4 of hearing the word of God, hearing the voice of God, listening closely to what God has said. And in doing that, uh, God reminds us that he is speaking, disclosing himself. Going back to chapter number one of Hebrews, the writer has in mind at the very beginning on the, on the outset of his letter to us that God is a God who speaks. God is a God who speaks. He doesn't keep silent. You see that in verse number one, long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophet, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, he is a God who discloses himself. Everything we can know about God, everything we need to know about God is given to us by God through his word, through his word. It is sufficient and given to us for that particular purpose. But we first understand in verse number 12, what does he mean, word of God? Now, a lot of scholars argue on this. They're kind of back and forth where it, uh, where he's going when he speaks about in verse number 12 of chapter 4 uh, as he 
talks to us about the Word of God is living and active. And, and so many believe here he's referring to Jesus Christ himself. As you would see in John, who Christ being described for us as the divine word. In the beginning was what? The divine logos. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And, and so they, they look at this as the writer bringing us to the fact that here is the word. Here is Christ speaking to us. Now, it is true uh, as we'll look, but I think more is being said than just the person of Jesus Christ. You see him uh, coming to us as the word of God. And, and I think he's speaking about the very promises that God offers. Earlier in chapter number three, he's speaking about in verse number two, for the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. So he's already having, he already has in mind as he's working his way through to verse number 12, this, this promise of rest, the promises of God given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's bringing them back to their own hearing and receiving of the gospel itself. And truly we read in Romans that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the message about Jesus Christ. And, and the reason why we, we need to, to draw a line under that is because you can't have Christ without his word. It's impossible. It's impossible to say you love Jesus but have a disregard for everything that Jesus said. In our, in our spiritual kind of mixed up, muddy watered culture, we, we can have religion and God and feel good about all these things and, and disregard the word of God. And, and, and we can do that and survive as a culture. It's the way we are as a culture. But, but before God, it's impossible. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. But I would go even further than that. As we come to look at verse number 12, it's not only that, but he is, he is exegeting for us. He is bringing out two Old Testament promises found in the book of Psalms, Psalms 95, and in, in, the, in the narrative encounter in Numbers, saying that, that what you see as being described as the word of God extends, if I could just say it plainly, to these 66 books that we hold in our hands. And what he begins to describe for us is it can be applied and ought to be applied to the whole of the word of God. The whole of the word of God. To put it another way, we must conclude that as the writer describes this work or, or the likeness or what the word of God is like, what the word of God is, he is telling us in one way when the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. But what does that mean? Well, it's more than just a Christian jargon for, for doing what the Bible says because the Bible says it. We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe that it is binding upon all humanity because God is the, the final authority. It is given to us. But it's more than just that that he's trying to convey to us. He's trying to show us the nature and how the word of God is effective, how it works, how it's powerful in our lives and in our culture uh, and in our families. And in this, he causes us to sit up and listen a little bit to what the word of God is like. First of all, he describes it in verse number 12. The word of God is living. It is living. It is alive. That's what Peter teaches us, doesn't it? 
as he reminds us that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, the imperishable, the living word of God. He even says earlier as he's walking with Jesus and Jesus begins teaching hard things to them and looks at his disciples after everyone leaves and he says, will you go also? And Jesus says, where are we going to go? Because you have the words of everlasting life, of eternal life. And here the writer is trying to remind these people that, that what God has said to us isn't, isn't a dead word. It isn't just falling on the ground and dying. It is a living a living, uh, an abiding word, just because, just like God has life in himself, so he gives life to his word, we could say it that way. More than just the fact that it is true, it itself has life. God's word itself has life. Two examples, look with me in the book of Mark, if you will turn back to the gospel of Mark, chapter number four. <clears throat> Two examples are given very similar of the word of God being the same in both of those described as Peter would say that imperishable seed or the living word. The first is that of the sower and the soil which the sower goes out and he spreads the seed and he tells us in Luke's gospel that that seed which is spread out among the different kinds of soil is is the word of God. You find that in, in the gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse number 11. The seed is the word of God. It is the seed which brings and, and springs up. It, it is the seed which contains life. You see it again in, in the parable given to us a little later on in Mark four twenty-eight. Uh, let's begin back in verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Again, that, that illustration he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. Pastor Ed and I and a couple of the men went to the Piper Conference, heard a really good sermon on that, and a good reminder that after you sow the seed, take a nap, right? That's what he said to us. You can find that somewhere online. The earth produces, notice verse number 28. The earth produces by what? Because the life, the life is in the seed. Someone has said, explaining this, as you look and, and some of you will go out and plant your gardens and, and those things that in that seed you expect and anticipate a harvest of something. Something will, will grow bountifully from that. And so we, we see when we come to the word of God in this explanation or this kind of image, it is showing that within the word of God is life, is life. It's a living word. It's a living word. It's always present, always before us. We can never outgrow it, move beyond it. It's not left in the past. And it is true that many passages that we read in the Bible are in the past. They're past events, things that's taken place thousands of years ago. But yet even in the midst of those, we're not far removed from God who speaks to us today. That's what the writer's trying to tell us in Hebrews. God is speaking to us today even out of these things which is already taken place Spurgeon rightly say noting on this verse says this we may outgrow teachers and pastors but not apostles and prophets he's not saying apostles and prophets of our day he's saying you'll never outgrow uh, those who give us the word of God you'll never outgrow the word of God he goes on and says the that human system which once was vigorous and influential may grow old and at any length lose all vitality 
but the word of God is always fresh and new and full of force. God is still speaking to us through his word today. But not only does it contain life, we come to understand, turn with me back to the book of Hebrews. Not only does it contain life in itself, but it also gives life. It also gives life. Because the word is alive, it has the ability to give life. Ezekiel 37 is a great illustration of that. If you're familiar with that passage, God calls Ezekiel out to this valley of dry bones. They're, they're, they're dried out, dead, no meat or nothing on the bones. That's the kind of vision that he's having in Ezekiel 37. And God asked him in the midst as he's standing there among all of those dry bones, he says, hey, man of God, will these things live? And he answers rightly how we should answer if God asked us something like that. You know, O Lord. The next time you wonder, you just say, you know, Lord, I don't, because he didn't. And then he tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. There's no ears. It's a skeleton. There's no flesh. There's no ear canal. There's no eardrum. There's none of those things to, to, to receive it and to re- respond to it. And what God is saying that my word is that life-giving force. It itself brings life and gives life. As you read that in, in Ezekiel 37, you, the bones start to shake and rattle and stuff comes together. Stuff is happening. Life is, is being formed by the very power of God's word. He says, man of God, preach to him. Preach to him. Why is that so significant? Because you and I are like those bones. Hmm. And that should give us comfort through the preaching of God's word, sharing it and, and our parents teaching it. And, and as we're being brought near, it is through the power of the word of God that God has brought life to every one of us this morning who is born again. He gives life through his word. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Life always begets life. And we see here that the word of God is living. And with it, it it causes us, brings us to life. The power of God's transformed those dry bones. And it's transformed you this morning if you've been born again. That's what we pray for. That's why he says it's the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. It is, it is the preaching and the word of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's it. Now, what, that is what brings us to life. And that's why he goes on and says in chapter or verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, not only is it alive, but it is active. And sometimes we, we have to check our own pulse to make sure we're active at times, you know, because we get in those... Sunday afternoon, I kind of feel that way. But he says the word of God is not dead like that. The word could be translated, uh, it could be translated and probably should be understood, not just active like it's not sitting still or stagnant, but it is effective. It's where we get our word energy from as as you look the root of it up in, in the dictionary. It is the energy of God. The word of God is is effective it's so amazing that we come to to think about all the books that have been written and how the church can move forward and grow and do do this and do that and 
And what the Bible says, I have given you what you need. I have given you what is effective, and that is the word of God. I'm not saying any of those other resources are bad. What I'm saying is God has given his church, he's given his people that which he gets work done by, and that is his word. Three places in the Bible, that uh, Old Testament, that convey this, and I'll just mention these briefly. One is in Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and what happened? He didn't talk about light. He spoke light into existence. He spoke the world into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. The power of God's word, the effectiveness of God's word. And it is fitting that when we open our Bibles, the very first thing we read is the fact that God spoke and its effect has taken place. Why is that important? Because God has given us a lot of precious promises. And we see that they are not ineffective. They are powerful, true. Isaiah 55, 11, a very familiar passage of scripture. He says, so my, as rain goes up and comes down and waters the earth, and or rain goes down and doesn't go up. I understand that. <laughs> you might be wondering, huh? Isaiah 55, 11, he says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You're not left to wonder this morning with all the speaking in the Old Testament, whether it was just for nothing. If he's just just droning on. No, he says, no, my word will accomplish what I send it out to accomplish. Jeremiah 23, also another powerful passage of scripture. He says, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. And he makes this comparison, right? He says, what is a dream? It's hay. What what is straw in common with wheat? That's what he's saying. He says, what is the difference between my word and your dream? He says, "It's, it's like comparing straw with wheat. There's no comparison. He goes on and says, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire? That refiner's fire we even read in Psalms chapter number 12 is it declares the Lord in like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. And some of you ought to be rejoicing in the fact that God's word is able to break your hard heart one day in your life. Stubbornness against God and against his will and against his way and, and through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God broke that hard heart into pieces. And he does that over and over again, doesn't he? He tells us in this that God's word is our food. It is the refiner fire in our life and that which humbles us and breaks us free. First, turn back with me to Hebrews if you're there. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrows concerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, I was just thinking about how God's word is effective and brings life into us and how often we have seen the promises of God and the promises of his word bring refreshment to us and strengthen you. Hasn't that been true? And the weariness along the way, God speaks to you and lifts you up, infuses that spiritual strength in your life through, through a verse through meditating on a devotion or remembering a promise that he's made. 
How often are we reminded throughout this life, throughout this Christian pilgrimage, that the word of God is not dead, and yet it walks with us all along the way, reminding us, being for us, the voice of the shepherd to the sheep, Christ to his people, the word of God continually working and speaking in our life. We spoke yesterday a great deal about hope and, and, and eternity and all of those things, but it really is the word of God which brings that kind of hope alive. Why else would you stand before uh, someone that you love who has already passed on their body laying there in the condition that it is and, and have a, a reason at all to rejoice? Because it is the confidence, it is the power of God, uh, uh, the power of the word of God at work in your life that causes that hope to stir up and remind us again of the great precious promises that we have in Christ Jesus. You see, he's saying to this, this believers who are, are hearing the word of God, they're standing on kind of the sideline. In, in fact, he's worried that they may be like the children of Israel, listening to the good news of God. They would walk away in unbelief. And he's saying, don't you see what the word of God is? It's, it's living and active. It's effective. He goes on and says, not only in the fact that it is, um, that it is effective, we see this power played out in, in not only our own lives, we see it play down in the impact of cultures on a grand scale. We could say the, the Protestant Reformation. I was thinking about our missionary Mark, Pastor Mark in Tanzania, and that the uh, hideous rituals that they have and customs they had for, for centuries carrying on, and, and God using that pastor uh, to, to make transformation in that culture. And we ought to pray for him that God would would give him that platform to preach the gospel, preach Christ to them, and transform that culture. But he says it's not only effective, he goes further to say how it's effective, and he says it's like a, a two-edged sword piercing, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, it's not uncommon for the word of God to be described as a sword. As you know, in Ephesians 6, the word of God is that weapon, the armor, which God has given to us, and he's given us the sword of the spirit. And some of us guys might like that idea. It's because we like swords. But anyway, here he's, uh, here he's speaking about the word of God as being not necessarily like that weapon, but more like a surgeon's knife. Now, in Revelation, he speaks about out of Jesus speaking, out of his mouth will come this sharp two-edged sword in the, in the sense that he will come and bring judgment upon his adversaries. But here he's, he's speaking about the work of the Spirit of God and, and what the Word of God does. And he's saying it's, it's like a surgeon's knife. Now, there's different ways you can take this. It could be a short dagger or, or a knife, a sacrificial knife, and, and people argue on that. But he's saying what happens is God, through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, takes the Word of God and it gets down to the bottom of you. Now you can try to dissect what he means about sword or about soul and spirit and all this other stuff and, and weird doctrines come out of that. I don't think that he's trying to, to deal with that. I think what he's trying to say is that he's getting to the point, to the center point of who you are. The soul and spirit. It's penetrating, it's sharp. It's coming to, to divide and expose those things in our life. It, it is pulling the way the mask that we often wear. Cutting, cutting at the hypocrisy in the front that we can easily put on. The smile that we wear behind everything. 
This is the word of God that comes to the sinner and touches, touches the part of our lives that is, that is sick, is broken, that is defiled. He gets to the root of our problem, to the point issue. And in the process of that, as some of you know, it hurts us. And that's the way it is with the gospel, isn't it? We live in a culture where it says you're okay, everything's okay, don't let anybody, whatever they tell you nowadays, it's hard to know, isn't it? You keep up with the, with the latest thing that you're supposed to tell yourself. Yet the gospel comes at the center of that, doesn't it? And it says, no, you're not okay. You've sinned against God. In the process, it cuts us. But unlike those who would speak evil of you or, or, or harmful towards you and, and, you know, that feeling, they, they just cut you to the bone by their remarks or their, their hatefulness or their hatred or whatever it is that they said to you, those words hurt you, but they hurt you to destroy you. The word of God cuts us to, to heal us. And the Holy Spirit does that in our life getting down to the point of who we are. And that's what he says. Not only is it like a two-edged sword, piercing and division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, but he said it's discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. And if you look at those two words, thoughts and intents, you, you, your definition, actually you can, I was looking them up, and you're basically saying the same thing. And as you look at the definition, they really overlap, very familiar in that idea of what they are. And, and what is he saying there? He said, as some suggest, he said he's getting down to the heart of the matter, heart of you. The very seat which, which all of our action, all of our life process flows from. And so the word of God touches that. It, it gets down to the part of that. It is discerning over that. It is, it is in one way to judge or to critique. It is to, to evaluate those things. Has it done that in your life? As you read and reading the word of God, it, it just, he goes on, he'll talk about exposing. He just brings those things up and, and not deal with the outward things that everybody can't see, but deal with the inner things of the thought life that you've got. The attitudes of the heart. And so the word of God is, is alive, it's effective. It deals with the innermost person. Verse, or he goes on and say in verse number 13, to add to that or, or out of that. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to him whom we have to give an account. What's he saying? It's exposing. Is that what the psalmist said when he says, where can I go from your presence, God? You're there altogether. I can flee here and there you are. Darkness is light to you and it makes no difference. He knows your thoughts this morning from afar off. Just as you look at me this morning, he knows exactly what you're thinking. I've always wanted to tell somebody that, but he knows your thoughts. The innermost part of us. But, he, but he's going further than talking about just the knowledge of God here in verse number 13. It, connecting really the presence of God and the omniscience of God with the fact that God speaks his word and its, its work in our life. They go together. And we might wonder, how can, we, how can God say this? Or why would we follow all this? And how is it so effective in our life? Well, well the, the answer is because he knows you and knows where you're at. And, and what a joy that is in the midst of our, our sorrow, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our doubt and calamity. God knows exactly where you are this morning. 
He knows the thoughts and he knows the struggles and he knows the doubt in your life. And his word is sufficient and effective in the midst of wherever you are. That's comforting, isn't it? He says we're all exposed. There's nothing hid from him. But he goes on and says, not only is it speaking of his omniscience of where we are and the effectiveness in that manner, but he does mention at the end of this, verse number 13, that there is this reality in the midst of life and death of accountability. Notice with me in verse number 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to, his, to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. What is the reader saying? He's saying God knows exactly where you are. He's telling that struggling group of, of Christians there in Hebrews, he says, listen to God's word today. Because there will be another day when God speaks to us. Another day when our life will be laid out before him. And how we listen, what we do with the word of God today, what we do with the gospel today will have a a dramatic impact on what we hear in that day. For we, we see that we'll all stand before God. He mentions that later on in the book of Hebrews. Drilling down in this reality that we all must give an account before God. Every one of us here this morning, every, every child we raise, every, every, every one of us. What's appointed unto man to die and after this, the judgment. Some in this day, as, as we've seen in the Old Testament, have heard the word of God and they, and they, in response to that, because of their unbelief, heard God speak again at that day of decision. Kadesh Barnea, when he says, they will not enter my rest. I've rejected this generation. It's basically what he said, they'll not enter my rest. And he's pointing us not to a day of this life, of wilderness wandering, but a day of eternity. The significance of entering his rest and listening to his word. And he's saying that, that it is shutting our ears at this moment, that we, he will speak to us yet again. And, and in that day, we'll hear what we, we read in Matthew. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Many will hear the good news, but it will not benefit them because they will not listen. They will not believe. And in his wrath, he will say that you will not enter my rest. But for those who hear his word today and have believed, God continues to speak in comfort through Christ and through the word of God, doesn't he? And we long to hear, and that's what he's trying to say. We long to hear those words, enter my rest. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the Lord. Because they heard the word of God, they heard the good news, and they believed. That's the promise that we have this morning, isn't it? That the power and the effectiveness of the word of God, but the blessedness of it, that that as we listen to it, as we have believed it, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we, we anticipate the word of God, not dread it. We anticipate hearing the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter my rest. And that's what he's encouraging these guys on to. Take heed how you listen. Because he will yet again speak. He will yet again speak. And for those who are in Christ, it is not a day of dread or a day of 
uh, to be avoided, but is a day we long for. What is the difference? The difference is the power of the work of the word of God in our life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the difference, isn't it? That we're brought to him. <clears throat> Let me just say a few practical things that, uh, that hinder us in this life and, and maybe a few things that help us as we consider this book that God has given to us, his holy word. One, I think what hinders us as it comes to reading our Bibles, as it comes to listening to God, is pride itself, isn't it? And you come here week after week, and I, I read the Bible, and I listen to people all the time. And, and one of the things, one of the biggest challenges in our life is saying, I don't need it, I'm good. Or saying, I already know that. How many of you have ever said that? We hear a word like justification, and our eyes just kind of gloss over because we know what that means. And what takes place is that familiarity with the things of God and that, that familiarity with the Word of God. Maybe you read your Bible through and so you got it checked off and now you're, you're on to bigger and better things. And, and that, that familiarity oftentimes can, if, if not dealt with, bring contempt. And it's out of pride, isn't it? That as we approach God and as we approach His Word, we approach it from a position of, of boy, they surely really did need to hear that, those people over there. And not saying that I needed that. I needed that. One of the biggest hindrances in our life is, is pride. And when it comes to listening to God's word, the second one is just plain spiritual laziness. Right? We could read Psalms 119, take 20 minutes to read through it if y'all want to. <clears throat> Still got a few minutes. We could say all the wonderful things it is about the word of God. And yet there is still that plain, that that that. Let, Thargicness that we face spiritually as far as getting into it. Why is it hard to listen to the word of God? Because it takes it takes us it takes us battling our own sinful flesh and our own spiritual laziness. Thirdly, <clears throat> it's our ignorance. We simply don't know anything and we're not bothered by that. We're not bothered by that. Fourthly, what hinders us as it comes to listening to God's word. Is just sin itself. As we come to see here that the word of God exposes us. Lays us open before God. And, and oftentimes in our own eyes too. And we don't like that. In fact what you read in John and, and throughout the gospel of John. Is two response when it comes to God, God dealing with us. And one is as the light is coming to the world. Men love darkness rather than light. So they hid from it. They run from it. That's very dangerous when even in our own life when we're confronted by a friend or a brother or a sister in Christ and they, they, they kind of touch something in our own life and we, we run away from it. We go away from it. We don't deal with it. Ignore it. Explain it off. Whatever it is. That's very dangerous. That's what the world does. It's what the ungodly do as Christ comes to them, exposes sin in their life. And then the other response is they come to the light. They come to the light. And I don't want to leave on a negative note. I don't want to leave on a positive note. What do we do in the, in the midst of this? Well, one, we, we listen humbly. As God speaks to us, as we read our Bible, as we hear it preached, as we sing it, as, as all the things we do, we listen to it humbly. Because you and I need this. We need life. We need encouragement. We need to be reminded of the promises of God or yea and yea in Christ. We, we need that continual going on in our life. And, and as we come before the word of God, we come humbly because it is there where God speaks to us. We also come prayerfully. I love the Psalms. 
Uh, Psalms 119, which tells us, uh, the psalm prays to God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. You ever thought about that in, when you think about the word of God? There's wonderful things here for us. And he says, Lord, help me see it. Help me see it. So we listen humbly. We listen prayerfully. We listen trustfully. We, we believe what God has said. That's what he tells us here. And he's explained this to us here. That they did not benefit them because they didn't mix it with faith. Two more things in closing. One, they, and we are to listen to it worshipfully. Worshipfully. It is here that we meet with God. It is here that we take those phrases and those verses and we let them lead us to worshiping who God is. How often we've read over uh, monumental passages of scripture with such rich, uh, rich understanding and truth and we just kind of read over it and glossed over it. But that's meant to stir our hearts and our affections for Christ and to, to bring us to worship God. Theology is always meant to lead us to doxology. The word of God is not meant to just leave us unmoved and, and unaffected, but stir the affections of the heart and of the mind and, and of our soul so that we, we may behold who God is worshipfully. You can't hardly understand the gospel or any of the promises Christ gave us without, without worshiping in some facet or another. We listen humbly, prayerfully, trustfully, worshipfully, and lastly, we listen obediently. We read, we come before God's word obediently. Help me live out what you have instructed me, O oh Lord. Well, the Bible has given, <clears throat> God has given us a great, great treasure so that we may know him and that we may know how we ought to live so that we may be forgiven and our lives may be transformed so that we may have hope in all that he does through the word of God in our life. And I guess this morning as I go through these two verses I'm wondering at the end of the day how often how often that book is neglected. I guess in looking at that I just want to encourage you uh, pick up, take, eat this book. It's given to you let's pray father we thank you for this morning as we gather together and we thank you for thank you for loving us god for speaking to us god being reminded of of your love being reminded of your of your character your goodness being reminded of all the things that you have promised us how we we take those things into our own hearts and our minds and our lives and they minister to us throughout the decades, throughout the ages. Father, thank you for that great work. I pray God, for each one here this morning that we would just be encouraged as we consider the book that you have given us and the work that it's done in our own life. Be encouraged in the work that you've called us to. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness according to the knowledge of him. So we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.